and welcome to the Hand in Hand show where caregivers and survivors have honest discussions about stroke. We are a part of Stroke Focus Podcasts. This is Cam, your host. I'm here with Nancy, my guest, Nancy Wetworth, who is not only a caregiver, but she is the author of the book, Don't Stop the Music, Finding the Joy in Caregiving. So welcome, Nancy. Hi, Cam. How are you doing today? I am great. I hope you're doing well, and I can't wait till we get into this. Get some questions answered for those caregivers out there or even survivors who'd like to know what you did. I would have thought most people know what a caregiver is, but I've also found that some don't. So what is a caregiver to you? What do you feel defines being a caregiver? My definition of a caregiver is someone who takes over the full-time care of an adult family member because they are no longer able to care for themselves. It's different than being a babysitter for a child when you just take over for a little bit. Caregiving is a full-time job in most cases, and it has to do with normally adults. Sometimes there are older children who need um, the caregiving definition applied to them, but most of the time it's adults as a result of some sort of catastrophic illness. Now, I know that for myself, I don't have a a per se caregiver. I do have people that help me. So I do kind of consider them caregivers. I mean, I can get out and do things on my own, but there are those few things that I can't do. My definition goes from a little help, I guess, to everyday living. I would agree. I think each person defines the caregiver role a little differently. In my personal case, I know that it is a full-time job. Yes, absolutely. And that's why I said, you know, for some, it may not, for me, for some, it may be just a few things that happen. But for others, I think the caregiving uh, comes to those who do more than just, you know, cooking or cleaning or or. Like you said, it's full-time. It's getting them to the doctors, maybe paying bills, doing everything at the home. So my next question is to you, how did they get this job title? And it's different for everybody as far as spouse or a other family member or a child even. Exactly. There's no one specific definition of anything. But for the most part, The job title of caregiver occurs when someone in their family, a parent or a spouse or a relative, is involved in some sort of catastrophic health emergency, whether it's stroke, some kind of brain injury, an accident, some sort of disease where they need care that is different than just the normal living situation of a family where the role gets extended to many, many, many more duties, including medical duties that would normally be um, not expected to be done by this family member. So the role extends over a wide variety of tasks, and it couldn't go for a short period of time, or it can go for many, many years, depending upon the situation. What are the top three, maybe four challenges that you as a caregiver face or maybe other caregivers face that you have? I would say 
the biggest challenge, challenge number one, is simply fatigue. The role is so demanding on so many levels that the caregiver just gets worn out and they, it's, it never ends. It's 24-7, 365 in a lot of cases. And so just adding all those additional tasks to their normal job, their normal household duties, and they add caregiving on top of it, the mental, psychological, and physical fatigue are just overwhelming at times. The uh, second biggest thing I think that caregivers face is not knowing what to do. They have to make so many decisions on the spur of the moment all the time, and they don't necessarily have experience at the time when they have to make the decision about that particular issue. So they have to somehow fly by the seat of their pants or find information about that. I know that when my husband had his stroke, there, the internet was in its infancy and there were no books in the libraries on stroke that I could find or that I had even time to look for. And so there was no information available for me at the time to help me in my caregiving role. Now, 26 years later, the internet is available and we have this remarkable resource called Wohala that is changing how caregivers can find information quickly, easily, without um, it being such a tremendous burden on them. And the third item that I think caregivers face is just the financial resources that they have to juggle in order to make all of these things happen in their in their home for their caregiver. You mentioned the financial part too. So it used to be that, and, and maybe it still is, that you can find respite care, but unfortunately those things cost money also, um, unless you can find a family member or a, a friend, neighbor, somebody who can come in for a few hours and give you peace of mind, but that you can go and take care of yourself as a caregiver, um, that you can go maybe take a nap or you can go to a movie or you can, as I said, take care of yourself at some point. Exactly. That really is the biggest issue is um, reminding oneself as a caregiver that it is so important to get respite and to get away from the situation and the financial needs to do that sometimes are very difficult there are some sort of social agencies that will provide um, respite workers to come in for you if you can find them, but you don't always qualify for that sort of financial aid either. But you're right, respite is critical, and teaching that to caregivers is something that's very, very important. I do know that one of the most important issues caregivers face regarding their own performance in caregiving is that they feel guilty that they've not done enough. This is a common issue among caregivers. How can I do more? What more can I do? Because they love the person that they're taking care of and they just don't feel that they've done it right, well enough, or that there's so much more that they could do. I hadn't thought about that part of it, um, about uh, a caregiver feeling guilty because I think that most caregivers give, you know, 110 percent, 120, 200 because they care about the person they're caring for. 
but that is interesting because that's something that I would not have thought of. I wouldn't have thought about it either, but I was told that by someone, um, by a psychologist at the university where I was working, that this is a very common issue and it's well documented. And that is why caregivers give 110% is because they feel guilty that they haven't done enough, that they should have done more. And so just knowing and becoming aware of that phenomenon in the human psyche that makes that happen is very important for caregivers to know about. Thank you for that information because I'm kind of speechless because I think about how hard they work. And I have worked with uh, several caregivers in setting of a support group. What I do find is the fatigue and the not taking care of themselves and not making sure that they get time to themselves, be able to regroup. Because as a parent, that's something I learned a long time ago is You need that time to yourself to regroup and be the best parent you can be. And I think that truly applies to a caregiver also. Absolutely, Uh, it does. So how do you think caregivers feel about their role, which we kind of talked about the guilty part. How else do you feel that they feel about their role as a caregiver? I know that initially I was angry that I was thrown into this role because it comes as a surprise in when a catastrophic illness happens. It isn't something that I had planned for in my life. It wasn't something that I had, I, I didn't even know what a caregiver was when it first happened. And so I stepped into a role or I fell into a role that I didn't know what it was. I didn't know how long it was going to last. I didn't know what was going on. I was confused. And I was juggling so many balls in the air all the time, just trying to keep things afloat and still do the best job um, for, of taking care of my husband, making sure that things happened medically for him that should be happening. It just seemed there was no time to even think. I just completely stopped sleeping and my brain was befuddled all the time about what I should, what should I be doing that I'm not doing? And that's, I think, where the guilt thing comes in. And and a lot of caregivers aren't aware that they're guilty. They just, they're so busy thinking about what they should be doing next because the role never stops. So how did you get through that to the next point, to a better place? How did I get through the anger? It took a long time. It did not happen overnight. I still have moments where I'm angry that it happened, but for the most part, the biggest thing that I learned was that anger doesn't serve me as a person. It's a negative emotion. And when I realized that I was hurting myself more than helping myself. I just took stock of what I was doing and the simple awareness that I was hurting myself made me able to change to positive thinking. And when I switched over into thinking, okay, I can make a list and take the burden off myself by making a list of what I have to do rather than continually um, reiterating that list in my mind, I found ways to save time. And as I found ways to save time, it became easier. The burden became less. Another really important thing that I learned, 
and this was actually just a few years ago, and I've been doing this for a while. And this, this changed my life in helping getting rid of anger. We, we moved to a new home, and I had to start bathing John again because we didn't have a shower that he could get in and out of himself and take care of his own bath each day. So I had to assume that role again of helping with his bath. And I was getting angry because I thought, now I have to add that task to my caregiving role a day, every day again. And so I have to reschedule another thing and move the rest of my schedule of getting to work and doing all the errands and doing everything else. I have to add giving him a bath. And so one day I said to myself, well, that's not serving me well to get angry about that. How about changing my thought process? And instead of saying, I have to give him a bath, I get to give him a bath and provide a loving service to him. And when I did that, in that moment, all the burden of taking care of him for that one particular task disappeared and it became light and easy. So I learned that if I shifted from thinking I have to do something to I get to do something, I could get rid of a lot of the anger. And these have been lessons that have come along the way throughout the years. I love that. I, I seriously love that, that, that you changed your whole um, thought process in it. Um, and, and anger takes more energy. A lot absolutely. more. It's uh, debilitating. Absolutely. I totally agree with that. The other thing that, that I think is a good thing to do um, for anyone is practice gratitude. So every day you get up and you, you think of one thing that you're grateful for. And then um, maybe the next week you add two things and three things. And then I think that also helps in turning your um, thought process around to a more positive uh, way of thinking of things. Um, but I like your, your way of, you know, that you now, uh, you don't have to do it. You get to do it. Um, you know, and, and it is a loving gesture. So that's wonderful. I'm glad you mentioned the gratitude thing because that would, that's a great reminder to all of us. And I actually have in front of my desk a list of things that I'm grateful for every day as a reminder to, mm -hmm. to stay in, in, with an attitude of gratitude because that helps immensely too of making the role of a caregiver easier. Right. I think that's true. So uh, I guess my last question, and we may come up with something before uh, we end, but my last question right now is, what do you think is the most important thing caregivers need to remember each day? Oh, that's an easy one. It's called the caregiver's rule, and it goes like this. Take care of yourself first so that you can take care of others. And if you're not familiar with that, every time you get on an airplane and they tell you to put your mask on before you put the mask on your child when the oxygen mask drive drop, it's the same thing. If you don't take care of yourself, if you can't breathe, you can't, certainly cannot help someone else breathe and get better. So it's the caregiver's rule. Take care of yourself first so you can take care of others. Another word of wisdom. I like that also. So is there anything else that you'd like to bring up that maybe in this short episode that we did not 
cover? Well, I just wanted to remind everyone that I have a book out called Don't Stop the Music, Finding the Joy in Caregiving. And in that book, I reveal hundreds of nuggets of wisdom of the things that I've learned in my 26 years in my role as caregiver. And it's available on Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com or from the publisher at BalboaPress.com. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Hand in Hand Show. We hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to keep the discussion going, please join Stroke Focus, the social media website dedicated to stroke survivors and caregivers. Stroke Focus is S-T-R-O-K-E-F-O-C-U-S. Stroke Focus is a part of Wohala, which in Mandarin means I have survived. If you wish to be a part of the show or would like to be interviewed as part of the show, please contact us at contact at strokefocus.net.